All right, let's open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 28. Exodus chapter 28, we're talking about the priesthood tonight. Did you get your outline as you came in tonight? Okay, very good. All right, we'll be uh, looking at the outline here in just a moment. As we've been working our way through the book of Exodus this fall, we have looked at the major themes in this uh, wonderful book, and tonight we come uh, to what the uh, Scripture tells us and teaches us about the priesthood, the um, high priest uh, Aaron, uh, the brother of Moses, and also uh, the other priests that are the sons of Aaron and the Levites, who would be the priests after them. And we're going to see what uh, we can learn tonight, not only about uh, the priesthood and about the garments that the high priest wore, but also we're going to uh, bridge all of this over into the New Testament and look at the Lord Jesus Christ as well. So if you will, look with me at uh, Exodus chapter 28, starting to read at verse 1, and we'll read verse 1, and then I'll give you the fill in the blank on point number 1. Now, this is Moses talking now, excuse me, this is God talking now, take Aaron, your brother, he's talking to Moses, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as priest. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. All right, so here, uh, point number one in your outline is this, uh, chosen and set apart. This was a uh, unique office now that was going to be occupied from uh, that point forward in the history of Israel. And God had the right people in mind that he wanted to choose and to put them in that position. And so he chose Aaron, who is the older brother of Moses. And uh, he said, Aaron uh, is the one that I want to be in this position of being the high priest and his sons who would follow after him after uh, many years after this when Aaron would die. Then it would be uh, one of the sons of Aaron who would become the next high priest. And so God chose these particular men for his own reasons. Uh, you know, there's no really indi any indication in the Scripture uh, that they were necessarily smarter than anybody else or anything like that, but it was simply God's choice. And we see God's choice all throughout the Scripture. Uh, a lot of people get nervous when we talk about God's choice. I'm not a Calvinist. I don't believe in Reformed theology. But you have to look at certain scriptures that say that God made choices. He chose Abraham out of all the other people on the face of the earth uh, to call him and, and uh, bring him to Israel and then later his descendants uh, down into Egypt and so on. Abraham had two sons, Isaac and uh, Jacob, excuse me, uh, Ishmael and Isaac. And God chose Isaac and not Israel or Ishmael. Uh, so God, God does that. It's not to say that he rejects everybody else. It's just this is the way God works. And uh, he also gives everybody free will. So both those things are taught in the Bible. He chooses, but he gives us free will. Amen. And so um, when it says here that uh, God chooses Aaron to be the high priest, we just leave that mystery uh, as it is and I don't try to explain stuff that's not explained in the Bible. You know, you get in trouble when you do that. I just stick to the Scripture and try to teach what the Word of God teaches. But it is a marvelous truth to know that God chose this man, Aaron. 
And think with me about your own walk with the Lord. There was a point in time when you realized that God was speaking to your heart. Somebody came to your house and shared the gospel. You were in church and heard the gospel. You responded at the invitation. You listened to a Billy Graham broadcast. However it was that God got your attention and spoke to your heart, you realized that he loved you and that uh, he, Jesus died for your sins on the cross, that he was buried, that he rose from the dead. You repented of your sins, put your faith in Jesus, and uh, called on him, and he saved you. And it was God who chose you because Jesus said in John chapter 12, if I, the Son of Man, be lifted up, I will draw all men, all men, women, and boys and girls, I will draw all people to myself. So when Jesus was lifted up on that cross, he was drawing everybody to himself. Now, that doesn't mean everybody's going to be saved. It means everybody could be saved, but that's where the free choice comes in. God chooses, but we choose also. We choose him. And so to be a follower of Jesus means that you and I responded to God's choice. He chose you, and you chose him. He chose you first. It's just like 1 John says, we love him because he first loved us. It was not any of our ideas to love God first. He loved us first and we responded to his love. And so we have here this truth in the word of God about uh, God choosing Aaron and setting them apart. Notice here in verse, uh, again, uh, verse one of chapter 28, take Aaron, your brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel that he may minister to me. Notice that primarily, first of all, this high priest, Aaron, was to minister to the Lord. And it says here, Aaron and Aaron's sons, and he names those four sons, two of them disqualified themselves not long after this. And so Eliezer and Ithamar were left. But I wanted you to see here that the priesthood began with God's choice of Aaron. Then secondly, I want you to see the clothing, starting at verse 2 and going all the way through uh, the end of this chapter. We'll read selected verses out of the rest of this chapter. Look at verse 2 and 3, though. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother, for glory and for beauty. So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister to me as priest. Uh, you may remember that last week, uh, when we got to the very last part of the message, uh, I talked about those two men that God had specially gifted and filled with the spirit and they were the ones who were to, they were craftsmen. They could work in silver and wood and all kinds of things. Well, God had set apart various people among the people of God who could make these garments uh, that he is commanding Moses to be made. And they are to be holy garments that is different from anything else that these men would have worn before, set apart for his use, set apart for the glory of God. So what is the clothing? Uh, uh, I asked uh, Harrison to put a picture up here for us. So Harrison, if you would do that for me, I would appreciate that if you've got that. Uh, that is a, uh, it's not an actual picture of a high priest. It is a painting or a drawing of someone's perception of what these various items look like. We don't have a picture from way back when Moses and Aaron were on the earth. They had not, all that stuff had not been invented yet. We've got the scripture that 
describes it, and if you see other pictures of the high priest garments, it may look a little different than these do. This is an artist's conception of what it's like, but the point I'm making is I wanted you to have a visual so that when I talk about it, you can see what it is that I'm talking about. So let's look back at the scripture now. We're going to look at verse 4, and these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and a sash, so they shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons, that he may minister to me as priest. So then he starts then, well, in verse 6, let me, let me continue to verse 5, they shall take the gold, purple, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine linen, and they shall make the ephod. That's the first item here that God gives us. It's not the first one in the list. The breastplate is the first one in the list, and we'll get to that next in the scripture. But the first one that God describes here for us is the ephod. And that is, uh, he shall, they shall make the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen artistically worked. Now, uh, those are five different kinds or colors of threads that were used to make this ephod. Let me step down here and uh, point out to you what, which one it is. If you'll see, the name of the ephod is about, if you count from the bottom up, one, two, three, four, you see ephod right there. It's pointing over to the right. It's on the left-hand side of the picture. It points to the right. That's that uh, thing that it, it really kind of is a vest. It's got fringe on the bottom of it. It's multicolored. And uh, it's got a sash around the middle of it. We'll talk about that in a minute. But it goes all the way up and over the high priest's shoulders. That is the ephod. Uh, and what are some characteristics of it? Uh, these five kinds of thread were used to weave that ephod. These threads were also the threads that were used to make the inside of the tabernacle. Those curtains that were inside the tabernacle those are the same threads that are used to make this ephod. And so let's read some more about it. It shall have two shoulder straps joined at its two edges, and it shall be joined together. So the straps you see here at the top, I'll get to that in a minute, but you see on the right-hand side, just under where it says turban, there's the next line there that says onyx stones. That's where the top uh, of the ephod is, and that's where it comes together. It's... Uh, it's got a strap up there that holds those two pieces together. But notice here that uh, what it says about it. The uh, intricate, verse 8, intricately woven band of the ephod which is on it shall be made of the same workmanship of gold, blue, purple, scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. That's white. And the other colors are that is actual gold thread there. Uh, that is referred to. The others are thread. The gold is actually fine uh, spun gold. And then look at verse 9. Then you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. So the onyx stones are at the top there of his shoulders, one on each shoulder. And on each of those onyx stones was engraved six names of the sons of Israel. One, six on one side and six on the other. 
And of course, how many tribes of Israel were there? There were 12. And so he's got each of the names of the 12 tribes on his shoulder. What is the significance of that? It means that every time the high priest would go before the Lord, he is carrying the, by name, he is carrying the people of God into the presence of God there in the tabernacle. And so uh, we see the uh, ephod. And then if you will, a look at uh, verse 12. And you shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. So Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial. And he goes on to talk about uh, these settings of gold and so on. But we're going to skip that for now. So that's the ephod. And then the second item of clothing is the breastplate. And that's, that's uh, description starts in verse 15. But if you'll look up here at the uh, breastplate, uh, on the left-hand side, you see the second line down, breastplate with 12 precious stones. And it points to that rectangular uh, piece of uh, material that's there right under his chin. You see that hanging down from the gold uh, straps there or the gold chains that are coming down from his shoulder. So let's see what, it, uh, what the Bible tells us about that. You shall make the breastplate of judgment, artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod. You shall make it of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen you shall make it. So it's made of the same material that the ephod is made of. It shall be doubled into a square. A span shall be its length, and a span shall be its width. So it starts out as a rectangle, but it's folded in half, and so it comes out as a square. And, uh, and then let's continue reading. And you shall put settings of stones on it. it uh, four rows of stones. The first row shall be a sardius, a topaz, an emerald. And this shall be the first row. The second row shall be a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, a jacinth, a jacinth an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold settings. And the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel, according, a twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, each one with its own name, they shall be according to the 12 tribes. So now he's got the 12 tribes not only on his shoulders, six on each shoulder, but he's got the names also right in front of him over his heart. And that is the significance here. And he goes on then and talks about it again. Skip down to verse 19. I'm sorry, verse 29. And I want you to compare Verse 29 with verse 12 that we read just a moment ago. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. And so he's got, in two different places, he's got the names of the tribes of the sons of Israel there, and he brings these with him when he goes into the holy place. Now, he would never go into the holy of holies wearing these garments. He would not go into the holy of holies like that. He would go into the holy of holies wearing the regular garments of a priest. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But he would go into the holy place. You remember we talked about that last week uh, where the uh, tabernacle has two compartments or two rooms. 
The first one's a holy place. The second one is the holy of holies or the most holy place. The high priest would never go into the holy of holies wearing these, but he would go into the holy place wearing these garments. Now then, if you will look at verse 30, and you shall put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. So he is carrying them on his shoulders and he has them on his heart, which means that he is bringing them into the presence of God. He is their representative before God. And God, uh, when he communicates to Aaron, is going out, will go out and will speak to the people what God says to, to say to them. But uh, here we have uh, the, when, when this breastplate is folded over, it makes a pouch. And the reason that uh, there's a pouch there is that for the place of these two items called the Urim and the Thummim. That's in verse 30. Now those two words literally translate as lights and perfections. There's no description in the scripture about what they really were. A lot of people think that there were two stones, one white stone and one black stone, and that God would reveal from time to time when it, when it was needed, he would reveal his will to his people as the high priest would reach into this pouch and pull out either a white stone or a black stone to give direction to the children of Israel. There's only about four times in the Old Testament that these are referred to where God gave direction to his children by using the Urim and Thummim. Now, some people believe that these stones, if they were stones, in fact, would light up, like supernaturally light up to give direction uh, to whatever God wanted his people to do. It could be that that's the case. We just don't know for sure. We do know that that's where they were kept and they were used uh, as God wanted them to be used. So we have, uh, we have the effort, we have the breastplate, and then we want to go on and look down at verse 31 and see the robe. Look, look at uh, verse 31. You shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue. Let me point that out to you. You see on the left-hand side here, the third one up, it says robe and points there to that blue part that the high priest is wearing. That robe goes all the way up and over his head. It's, it's woven of one piece with the center cut out. So it just goes right over his head. And um, uh, it does not uh, have sleeves in it. The, the tunic that's white there has the sleeves. The robe, though, is made totally of blue. And the robe has some things on the bottom of it. Notice at verse 33, and upon its hem, you shall make pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet all around its hem and bells of gold between them all around. A golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate upon the hem of the robe all about. All right, now what's that, what's that referring to and why did God command this to be the case? Well, the bells would jingle when the high priest walked. And when he was in the holy place, all the people, now the priests were out and around 
inside the courtyard and some of them would be inside the holy place with him. But most of the, all the other people, they were outside the courtyard, but they could hear the bells when they were ringing. As long as they could hear the bells, they would know that the high priest is in the holy place or on his way there, or on his way back, doing his work. He's doing what God's called him to do. Now, what about the pomegranates? The pomegranates is a common fruit in the Middle East that uh, was part of the regular everyday diet uh, of the people of Israel and other people who lived in that area. And uh, it, it was, these were not actual pomegranates that were sown in here. They were woven pomegranates, that is, material. And they were between the bells, uh, most likely so that the bells wouldn't knock against each other. Uh, but it was a symbol of God's provision for the people. This was something that they were familiar with. It was something that they used all the time. And somebody has said that, you know, a pomegranate, if you cut one open, you, you see a, like a billion seeds in there. Anybody ever seen the inside of a pomegranate? There's like a billion seeds inside, and maybe there's some significance there, the seed of the Word or the seed that's to be sown. We don't know exactly what that was about, but we do know that uh, God uh, designed this and told his people to make it this way so that they would be able to listen for the working of the high priest as he served God and ministered to God on behalf of the people. All right, now then, let's move on and let's talk about the next item of clothing, and that is found down in verse 39. So if you will, uh, look on down to verse 39. You shall skillfully weave the tunic of fine linen thread. You shall make the turban of fine linen, and you shall make the sash of woven work. All right, let me point out these three things here. First of all, the tunic. That's the white part that you can see at the bottom below the blue part there, just above the high priest's feet. And by the way, uh, there's, there was no direction given about any shoes for the high priest to wear. So most all the time you see a description of this or a depiction of it, the, the high priest will be barefooted uh, just because there's no indication in Scripture that he was to wear shoes. Uh, but there's a fine linen tunic that's made of linen, not woven like so many of the other parts of this uh, outfit. But uh, this tunic, you see the white sleeves there, it was something he was to wear. Uh, and also... You see the uh, turban that's on his head up there. Uh, that uh, is a hat that he's to wear. It's uh, called a turban. There are other names for it as well. Uh, but uh, there's, the, there's the, the tunic, there's the turban, and then there's the sash. That's right in the middle uh, of his waist right there, right in the middle of his body. And this one is... Uh, uh, portrayed here as gold, but I'm thinking a better uh, way to think about it is that it was woven also with those same uh, threads that were made uh, into the, uh, the ephod and also the breast piece. But be that as it may, like I said, some of these things uh, are subject to interpretation, but the sash was one that was to be uh, a part of his clothing. So, there's one other item here that is not described at the beginning or not listed in the beginning, but is described here. If you'll look at this up at verse 36, you shall also make a plate of pure gold 
and engrave it and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet. Holiness to the Lord. If you will, look now at the turban again and you'll see a sign or, or a words up here to, at the upper left that say inscription on the turban, holy to the Lord. And that is that gold band that you see uh, just above the eyes of the high priest there. And that was made of gold and it was inscribed there with those words, holiness to the Lord. So all of this together is to be a picture of holiness. It is to be a picture of the, of the sacredness of the office of the high priest. Uh, when someone would see the high priest, they were to take notice that uh, this man is dressed differently than anyone else we've ever seen or anyone else in the nation of Israel. They were to give honor to Aaron because he's the high priest and whatever high priest would follow after him. He was to be acknowledged as uh, the one who went before the Lord, the one who would minister to the Lord in the holy place uh, every day of the year except for the, the uh, Day of Atonement which is when the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies. So they would recognize him. Uh, he, would, he was their representative, and it's shown by their names on his heart, their names on his shoulders, and he was carrying them in that symbolic fashion before the Lord, and, uh, and he was ministering to the Lord, and the Lord also would minister to him. Now then, that is uh, just a word about the uh, dress that they wore. Uh, and so let's look now. Uh, that's the high priest. But let's look now, starting at verse 40, about the other priests, Aaron's sons. For Aaron's sons, you shall make tunics, and you shall make sashes for them, and you shall make hats for them for glory and beauty. And then if you will look down at verse 42, and you shall make for them linen trousers to cover their nakedness. They shall reach from the waist to the thighs. So if you start closest to the body, he was to wear what I'm just going to call shorts. He was to wear shorts. Uh, and uh, it's obvious here that uh, it's to, to cover himself. Uh, perhaps it's in distinction to the way pagans would often pagan priests, quote-unquote, would uh, lead their, quote, worship services. They would often do all kinds of lewd things, but of course that was offensive to God. And so he tells uh, all the priests are to wear these shorts. They are to wear then over their bodies the tunic, which is uh, that white thing that you see there that the high priest is wearing. And then they are to wear also the... Uh, the sash and the hat. Now, their hat or their turban was not fancy like the high priest's hat. It was just a long, about 24 feet long, uh, about two and a half to three inches wide uh, piece of material that was made out of linen. All, all of the, the clothing that the regular priest wore and that the high priest wore on the Day of Atonement they were all white, which speaks of purity. They are to walk in purity before the Lord. And, uh, and so they were to wear these shorts, the tunic over the shorts. They were to wear the sash around their waist, and they were to wear the hat. And this was to demonstrate that uh, they were priests. 
Not everybody in Israel was a priest. The only way you could be a priest was if you were in, first of all, a Levite. And uh, the only way you could be in line to be a high priest was if you were a son or direct descendant of Aaron. So there were thousands of priests in Israel, but you had to be born into the tribe of Levi to be a priest. And so if a person saw a man walking on the road dressed in this uh, way that I've just described with those four items of clothing, they would recognize right away that this was a priest. Uh, And so the turban that the man wore was 24 feet long, but the sash that he wore around his waist was 48 feet long. Yeah. Now, I've seen some big people in my day, but I've never seen anybody who needed a belt that was 48 feet long. So they, they just kept wrapping it around themselves until it got to where they wanted it to be. You say, well, Joe, what is the reason for one's 24 and the other 48? I have no earthly idea, <laughs> but uh, maybe one day we'll find out. So this is the garment of the high priest and also of the priest. Now then, let me go on hurriedly now, because I want to get to the New Testament here real quick. But let me go on hurriedly and ask you to look at chapter 29. Point number three in your outline is the consecration. That is, how did God really demonstrate that he was setting them apart? That's in chapter 29. We'll just hit a couple of the high points here. Look with me at verse 4 of chapter 29. What chapter 29 is mostly about is the cleansing of the priests in order to qualify them to work and to serve as priests. There were three basic items that God used in the Bible for cleansing. Water, blood, and fire. And you see all three of those right here in chapter 29. Look at verse 4. Aaron and his sons, you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and you shall wash them with water. So that's the first. They were to be cleansed totally, and this was to be a full bath from head to foot. Then, if you will, uh, look with me at, uh, let's see, I've got it here, just one moment. Uh, Look with me at verse 5. Then you shall take the garments, put the tunic on Aaron, and the robe of the ephod, and the ephod, and the breastplate, and gird him with the intricately woven band of the ephod, that's the sash, uh, or band, you shall put the turban on his head, and put the holy crown on the turban. That's that gold piece that says holy to the Lord, or holiness to the Lord. And you shall take the anointing oil, pour it on his head, and anoint him. And so you see The washing came first, and then the anointing oil was to come, which was a symbol of the Holy Spirit. They are to work in the power of the Spirit of God. One of the other places in the Old Testament where Aaron being anointed is referred to is in Psalm 133. There the psalmist said, How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the oil that runs down Aaron's beard running down from his head to his beard, onto his garments, and on down uh, to the ground. 
It is a symbol, a picture of unity. It is a symbol of, uh, of the anointing of God. And, and, and the psalmist said in 133, it is great when God's people are anointed and when there's unity and fellowship in the people of God. So that is a picture of that here in um, the anointing of Aaron uh, to be the high priest. And then, if you will, look at uh, verse 10. You shall have uh, the bull there to bring uh, offerings here. There is the burnt offering, which is, um, which is found in verses 12 and following. You shall take some of the blood of the bull after it's been sacrificed and place it on the horns of the altar with your finger. So that's the second part of the cleansing. And then if you will look down at verse 25, you shall receive them back from their hands and burn them on the altar as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma before the Lord. It is an offering made by fire to the Lord. So they were to bring a bull and two rams and they were to do certain things with them significantly uh, to, uh, to cleanse Aaron and his sons for the work that God had called them to do. So you see here that God is preparing his leaders to lead his people all through the rest of their history uh, with the priesthood, the high priesthood, and all of that. Now then, I want you to turn with me uh, to the book of Hebrews chapter 7. And point number seven in your outline is this, Christ, our great high priest. Christ, our great high priest. In order for a person to be a priest in Old Testament times, they had to be, as I said earlier, a descendant, a direct descendant of Aaron to be a high priest. Jesus was not born into the family of Levi. He was born into the family of what tribe? Judah. He was born into the tribe of Judah. So he would not qualify to be a priest under the Old Testament order. But God knew all that. Nothing about that took him by surprise. He planned it all. There was another high priest in the Old Testament whose name was Melchizedek. And Jesus became a priest, or was a priest, after the order of Melchizedek. Now, we're told that that was going to happen in Psalm 110, which is one of the great messianic psalms, in the Old Testament, in, in Psalm 110, which is, by the way, if you ever, if anybody ever asks you the question, you'll have the answer. What psalm is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament? Anybody want to guess what it is? Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And I have, I have called you. You are, a, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek is referred to in Genesis chapter 14 and other places. But Jesus wouldn't qualify as a high priest because he wasn't born of the tribe of Levi, but he certainly was qualified to be a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So let's look now, if you will, and I'm going to just rush through this. First of all, look at chapter 7. And verse 17, Jesus was called as a high priest. Look at verse 17. For he testifies, you are a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And that is a quote from Psalm 110. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment, 
because of its weakness and its unprofitableness. What he's talking about there is that the high priest in Old Testament times was sinful and weak, and he would die. What we needed was a high priest who was holy, who was not sinful, and who would live forever in order to establish an eternal covenant. And Jesus Christ is that high priest. Look again, uh, verse 21, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now skip down to verse 24. And, but he, speaking of Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he also, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily, as those high priests, uh, to offer up sacrifices for his own sins, and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself, for the law appoints as high priests men who have weaknesses. But the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the Son, that is the Son of God, who has been perfected forever. So you see the contrast there? God instituted the old covenant with these high priests who were fallible and weak and sinful. He knew, even before the old covenant was established, that they would need a new covenant. And so he prophesied through Jeremiah, there's coming a day when I will establish a new covenant with the children of Israel. Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 31 and following. And they would need a new high priest because the high priest of the old covenant would not work any longer. And so they needed a new high priest. Jesus Christ is called that high priest. He is qualified to be the high priest because he is holy, he is sinless, and he is eternal. He lives forever. But one other thing about him, he is also seated. As I mentioned when I talked about the tabernacle, the only piece, uh, one of the only pieces of furniture in the tabernacle you will not see was a chair because the priest never got finished offering sacrifices. There was always more sin to be covered. But when Jesus paid the sin debt that you and I owe, not his own, but for the sin that you and I owe, and he went back to the Father, and, and what happened when he got back up there? He applied his own blood into that mercy seat at the tabernacle, the real tabernacle in heaven, and then he sat down at the right hand of the Father because his work was finished and sitting down indicated that the sacrifice that he gave was good for all of eternity. So he is called, he is qualified, he is seated. And one final thing, look at chapter 9 and verse 27. The scripture says here, And it is appointed for man once to die, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. And so he is returning. He is called. He is qualified. He is seated, but he is also returning. You don't ever read anything in the Bible about Aaron, the first high priest, ever coming again to get God's people. You don't ever read about any of the other high priests who are coming again to get God's people. But who you do read about is the Lord Jesus Christ, the great high priest, 
who lives forever, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, who is waiting on that signal for him to give so that he will come again and we'll be caught up in the air. Wouldn't that be glorious? Be caught up in the air to meet the Lord. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Those dead in Christ will have already risen. We'll meet everybody in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. We serve a great high priest. His name is Jesus. Aren't you grateful to live on this side of the Calvary and this side of the uh, resurrection? Because we have this great high priest and we can come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. So when you ever think about the high priest, don't stop with the Old Testament high priest. Leap forward to the New Testament high priest who is eternal, who is powerful, who is sinless, and who is coming again.